When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Well, we are joined today uh, by a very special guest. Uh, Pete and I have with us, joining us on Zoom, a legend of the club from the 20... Well, the 2000 season, that whole decade. It's Mr. Michel Kuypers. How are you, Michel? I'm very well, thank you. Excellent. It's a pleasure to, to have your company this evening. Um, we've had you join us, so you can uh, talk through a few things about your time with the Albion and beyond, if you want as well. Um, we've got, a, I think, first question straight off the bat is from Pete, isn't it? So I'm going to pass straight to, to him uh, for his first question to you. It's um, it's a very kind of typical, slightly boring question, I suppose. You probably get asked all the time, but it's uh, your most memorable games and season as well, and and saves as well for Albion. So, what your kind of best memories are, and yeah, what you look back on with the most pleasure. And yeah, so um, the first big memorable game would probably be against Chesterfield. It was in my first season with Brighton. Uh, both Chesterfield and Brighton were competing uh, to win the title and we managed to beat them 1-0 at home uh, by a goal from uh, Danny Callop. It was a memorable day because um, a lot of the supporters brought brown envelopes with them because Chesterfield <laughs> was accused of uh, paying their players uh, in, uh, in cash. So, um, yeah, it was, um, it was a special occasion. I think that was the very first game in which... Um, very special memories starting to build up. Obviously, the season after we uh, we were in League One, and there were like memorable games in uh, in that season as well. I do remember a, a home game against Bristol City, in uh, which uh, we uh, almost uh, won the title, and um, I remember Lee Steele scoring an amazing uh, header um, at the far end, and yeah, it was uh, big celebrations all round. So moving on from that um, season, um, the season after we were in championship, for me personally, a very special game was uh, the Wolves away game. It was on a Monday night, live on Sky. And um, yeah, I managed to make, uh, make a very good uh, double save and had an all-round uh, good game. And, and that uh, double save was on the big screen at the Amex for a long time. Until yes, it, yes, it was. Yeah, which was obviously uh, very special uh, to me. I, I still come to the M Stadium uh, a lot. I watched uh, most of the uh, the home games uh, at the Albion, and every time they obviously show that footage, uh, yeah, it gives me uh, an emotional feeling and uh, also a feeling of pride. So um, moving on from that uh, game. I do remember uh, playing at uh, at White Hart Lane against uh, Tottenham Hotspurs in the FA Cup, in which uh, I made a, uh, a save from uh, Ziegler's long-distance shot, which uh, I felt like was uh, bound to go into the top corner. But I somehow managed to uh, get my fingertips to it and uh, push it around uh, the post. I mean, there, there have been so many, many good games. I mean, over 10 years... Um, yeah, many, many special occasions. Um, Nottingham Forest at home, 
was een, um, een free kick dat um, came over, uh, over the wall at the near post. And I managed to get a hand to it and push it against the crossbar. And um, one of our defenders uh, cleared it off the line virtually and uh, out of danger. That that was a game, obviously, uh, yeah, which, uh, which stands by me as well. But um, I think my very last game for the Albion probably produced a very important save, although it was a non-competitive game. It was in my testimonial game. But um, I do remember making a really good save in that game. <laughs> and I thought, oh, actually... Um, Maybe I can come back. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But obviously, after that, um, Gaspoy had uh, substituted me at, uh, at some point just to, uh, for me to, uh, to watch and enjoy, uh, and enjoy the, the day as such. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that they are, from the top of my head, uh, some of the uh, memorable uh, games and, uh, and saves that I made. Well, going back to the uh, the Chesterfield uh, game and that that season, um, that was obviously highly satisfying getting that one nil win. They'd beaten us one nil earlier in the season, hadn't they? And I think from reports I've heard, I think it's from uh, Danny Cullip and somebody else on an interview I heard, uh, quite a bit was going on behind the scenes, wasn't it, in both matches? <laughs> in the yeah, it was. <laughs> tell us, yeah, tell but... about that. Well, back then there was lots of uh, things going on behind the scenes. Um, I remember from that game that, uh, yeah, there was quite a big bust up uh, in the tunnel and outside the changing rooms. But I think that was all part and parcel of uh, two uh, very good teams that were both trying to uh, win the game, not uh, just on the pitch, but also off the pitch. Hmm. Um, we had uh, quite a few battles with, uh, with Cardiff City as well. They uh, seemed to uh, be um, in, uh, in our league uh, a lot of the time as well. And I remember playing at uh, Ninian Park and the same thing happened. So I think these, um, these um, <laughs> sort of incidents, yeah, they, they happen a lot. I, I assume they still happen uh, right now where uh, you've got two very competitive teams with strong personalities, both trying to uh, get one over each other. Yeah, and they've been, they've been making a lot of noise in the changing rooms after their win, haven't they? I think that, that seemed to be the thing. And then you guys reciprocated, so... Never more satisfying a thing than that, is there? Mm-hmm. Revenge is a dish best served cold, or whatever they say. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it, was, it was great fun. <laughs> it's amazing fun to hear the difference in, those, in us and them now, really. I mean, it's four divisions apart after all the kind of battles we had with Chesterfield over a couple of years. It's mm. now like four divisions apart, which is amazing, really. It kind of shows how far Bright- Brighton have come. It's kind of... Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Michelle, you originally, uh, according to uh, Wiki, which I've been uh, Googling today, um, you were born in Amsterdam um, yes. and your first, or your started your football career at a club I'm not going to attempt to pronounce the full name of, Sturkdor something. Is that Wilskracht? Is that right? Yeah. Sturkdor Wilskracht is uh, SDW. Ah, and okay. it means uh, uh, strong through willpower. Yeah. Ah, okay. Okay, yeah. nice. But that's not really, but this is like Wikipedia. Um, take it with a bit, uh, with a bit, uh, with a pinch of salt because they are not always correct in uh, whatever uh, they kind of like put out there. My very first club was actually Blue White. Um, oh. They were the uh, second biggest uh, club uh, in Amsterdam behind Ajax at the time. And that's where I actually started uh, playing football when I was about six years old. And I made it uh, all the way to the first team there. They were playing in um, the equivalent of uh, League One, as it uh, okay. currently stands. But okay. um, having made the first team uh, finally at the age of 18, I then had to go into the army because uh, national service was still um, happening in Holland. I've got a, a brother who is about uh, six foot six, and he is uh, too tall. Uh, for the army because um, if you are taller than six foot um, you uh, don't have to go in so it meant that if you were the the younger brother automatically you had to go into the army for uh, 18 months regardless of if you were playing football or if you were uh, having some other occupation in which uh, obviously um, uh, you being able to attend on a uh, daily or weekly basis is needed. So I um, I didn't really want to go in the army because I felt that for 18 months 
um, having to work in, um, in a warehouse or as a driver was not really something that uh, I wanted to do. So I said, okay, if I do have to go in, I might as well go in and try to do something special. So they laughed and they said, well, if you want, you can do a six months uh, intake course for the Marines, which um, I started and um, it was uh, an amazing, amazing time uh, in my life. Um, for six months, you had to go on speed marches, do lots of like um, um, exercises out in the field, surviving, shooting, you name it, you had to do it. And at any given time, they could basically throw you out of this course, which meant that you hadn't passed the Marine Beret. I managed to get through that and uh, stayed for another four years. So I actually ended up four and a half years in the Army as a professional. Wow. So during the last, um, I would say, year and a half, I was based um, in an um, in uh, anti-terrorism unit, which meant that uh, I didn't have to travel abroad anymore. So that gave me the opportunity to start uh, playing football again, which was always my first love. And um, that's when I started to play for uh, SDW which was like a, an amateur team, but they gave me the opportunity to play games and still be at the barracks during the week. Excellent. Good. And obviously the, uh, the, the song Former Dutch Marine uh, for you started uh, ringing out around the Albion when you joined us. Um, it got adapted, didn't it? Uh, something got it added did. to the song. <laughs> <laughs> Can you clear up for us? I, I think yes. I already know the answer, but is, is it all the fallacy that you were the chef <laughs> yeah, yeah. Obviously, I was not a chef. I can't <laughs> even boil an egg. Uh, but it's uh, it's a really funny story, and uh, it came from uh, Paul Rogers, who uh, made the joke uh, in the change room and said, "Oh, you were a marine. Well, you were probably a chef." And that's kind of like stuck. And um, yeah, it became kind of like folklore that um, it was Michel Carpes, the former Dutch marine chef. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, it, it was, uh, yeah, that's where it came from. But now I can guarantee you that I was definitely not a chef. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. And at what, point did you, or what point did you then come over to England then? Was that after leaving the Marines or? No, I was still in the Marines. Um, basically, um, when I started to play football for this team called SDW, we won the league. And uh, this was the first time, I think, in 23 years that that club uh, had won something. Obviously, there was uh, quite a lot of uh, press uh, coverage because SDW used to be quite a big team, um, you know, in the 50s, 60s. And um, this team, yeah, hadn't won for a long time. So a scout from Bristol Rovers um, came to Holland to uh, do some scouting, saw me play, obviously read uh, in the local uh, newspapers and in local media that uh, there was this goalkeeper who came out of nowhere and was making all these saves. So he, um, he scouted me and um, I got an invitation from Ian Holloway to come to Bristol on a trial, uh, which I had to obviously ask permission for um, from my uh, officers in the Marines. I went over to, uh, to Bristol and... Um, you know, the officer said to me, no problem, you know, go over and play some football because they knew that I really loved football and I was always trying to get uh, all the Marines to play uh, football in uh, in their spare time. And they said, we'll probably see you uh, by next week. Well, this was in uh, 19, when was this? In 1998. So that's uh, 22 years ago. And uh, yeah, I'm still here. So I never came back. <laughs> so yeah, that's how um, how it kind of like came uh, across to uh, to England. And um, Ian Holloway offered me, um, I think it was an eighteen month contract at that time. And um, yeah, that's how my journey in uh, in England started. Must have been a big change yeah. then to go from being playing for an amateur club and being in the Marines to then going to a full full time club and playing football all the time. And yeah, it was it was a very big uh, big change, obviously. Obviously, because um, my upbringing was obviously um, with, uh, with blue-white and I hadn't really played football the first, uh, I would say, like uh, three years of my time in the Marines. So I did have a bit of a gap. But um, as soon as I was in the change room at Bristol and I was with people like Barry Hales, 
Jason Roberts, Bobby Zamora, Jamie Curitan, Dave Lee, uh, David Hillier. I mean, these were all kind of like, um, apart from Bobby, who was obviously still young, but very established players who had been uh, playing professional football for a long time. Some of them at big clubs like Arsenal and Chelsea. And um, people like Barry Hales, who was sold, uh, uh, who was sold uh, from Bristol uh, to Fulham as well that season. Um, yeah, so it was like household names and it was a fantastic uh, way for me to learn uh, what was needed to be successful uh, in the game in England. And you, uh, yeah, you came to us on a free transfer, I believe, um, which was a hell of a deal from our point of view. We're all delighted to have you there. Um, that was uh, that's what now looks like a fantastic business. Um, as you said, you were with us for over a decade. And... Um, I think you held down the place. We had other goalkeepers coming and going, but you were always the number one pretty much the whole way through, weren't you? Which is great. Always a crowd's favourite. Um, what's your favourite memories aside from matches? Um, were, there, were there any particular memories during that decade where, uh, which particularly stood out for you in terms of, for example, scenarios with supporters at games or, or anything else funny that happened along those lines? Yeah, I think as a goalkeeper, you're a, a lot of the time the closest player to the supporters. So, yeah. especially uh, at the away games, where a lot of the time you are under pressure and at times you have your back against the wall, it's those supporters who are almost there as a 12th player, uh, supporting you, backing you, giving you confidence. So, my relationship with the supporters yeah, became very strong, very quick, because I was a very passionate player. I always gave it my, my all, uh, put my body on the line on, on several occasions. And um, I always really appreciated uh, the people traveling all the way up north at times uh, to, uh, to support us and give us that confidence, belief and support that we needed to, uh, to be successful. Yeah, we, we always like, um, uh, like our heroes. We do travel in numbers. But I think in those days, actually, the, the support was probably better pound for pounds than it is now in terms of the away fans because there was a really a, all of us are in against the world almost you know trying to get the stadium sorted um having to struggle with having with dean lots of things seem to be against us and in all that adversity i think we all came together and we were as one and i think that's um, pretty much um reflected on the in the team as well a lot of fighters a lot of uh, tough tough but good players um who i think really did were well knitted together as a team. Would you would you say that was the case? Yeah, definitely. I think that uh, Mickey Adams uh, recruited uh, a bunch of players that uh, were were good footballers, but they were also really strong personnel, uh, personnel with strong personalities. And I think that um, that was a driving force uh, within the changing room. And um, I think regarding the stadium, obviously the West Dean was hard for uh, opposition teams because they were not used to play um, in a stadium with a running track around it. But we did make it into a fortress um, at one stage. I remember in League One, I think it was, we only lost uh, two home games the whole season. Mm. So we, we were doing very, very well at home. Hmm. Peter? Yeah, um, so um, you obviously had a lot of managers when we're Brighton, probably... I don't know, he seemed to change reasonably regularly. Who would you say was your favourite manager at the time? And similarly, who was your favourite goalkeeping coach to work with? Uh, my favourite goalkeeping coach uh, was uh, John Keeley. I worked with him uh, for many years and he's still uh, a friend of mine and um, we still speak. He was uh, my mentor, uh, as to speak. He uh, has got a really nice personality and he's very calm and he works with these goalkeepers, not just on a footballing level, but also on a personal level. So from that point of view, yeah, he's uh, undoubtedly uh, the goalkeeping coach uh, of who I've learned uh, the most. Uh, in terms of managers, I think it's a really difficult question because all the managers that I work with, they all had their strong points. Some some managers were uh, tactically very good. Other managers were very good in man managing. Other managers were very good at setting up training sessions. Other managers were very good at um, keeping the changing room under control and keeping all the players that were not playing involved. 
um, you know, everybody had their own kind of like strength. I remember one manager, he was extremely good at uh, preparing the team. I had a very good uh, analyst that uh, would um, um, give us all the information of the opponents the day before the game with a lot of video footage and things like that. He was already back then very advanced in, in a way that, uh, that he was working because that's some of the, some of the things that, um, that the teams are uh, at this moment of time doing a lot. Brilliant. Similarly, who would you say is the best um, players you played with at Brighton, and also maybe players that you played against as well, kind of in your time at the club? Um, I think the player that stands out is uh, is Bobby Zamora, because obviously he uh, he scored so many goals, and he got a fantastic uh, transfer from Brighton to Tottenham Hotspurs. Is uh, is an amazing yeah. transfer if you really look at it. Um, I remember Glenn Hollow coming uh, to watch uh, several of our games at the Wifteen Stadium, so that uh, that tells you that um, yeah, he was a player that was uh, admired by some of the uh, the biggest names uh, in football. I think if you look at the players that are played against, whew, yeah, there have been there have been many. I would say it would be hard to to pick one out. Yeah, yeah, that's um, fair enough, I think. Uh, it's difficult, isn't it, <laughs> to make a decision like that? Um, yeah, I can, I can say that the, the best goal that I ever conceded was against Robbie Keane. Um, he was playing for Tottenham Hotspurs. And that was, that was, yeah, that was, he scored such an unbelievable goal. He had, um, he received the ball and uh, he had Guy Butters. Um, right uh, in his back, marking him very tight, and he managed to turn and side volley diagonally across me into the top corner. And I do remember, like his reaction. He looked at me, and I looked at him, and you could see the expression on his face was that he couldn't believe that he <laughs> just put that ball in the top corner. And then he ran off, and then obviously did his famous. Uh, but is it like a front roll followed by yeah, some like a tumble? Like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah celebration. <laughs> and I, coincidentally, I looked online recently, and uh, were some people talking about uh, the best goal that ever seen score at um, at White Hart Lane, and a lot of supporters are actually <laughs> saying that goal, <laughs> just the way that he took that ball, turned and um, and, yeah. and and kicked it into the top corner. So. From my um, opponent's point uh, of view, that that was definitely uh, yeah the most difficult or or the best goal that I considered. Yeah, typical luck, isn't it, for uh, for him to do it against us? <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. But what, one thing I've noticed with as well, <laughs> <laughs> one thing I've noticed with good players when you watch them, they always seem this is a cliche, but they always seem to have time don't they outfield players when they're on the ball and I always thought that about Keane and in fact during during that uh, match there was a few times he just seemed to be finding space in nowhere and I, I guess one thing also that's a bit of a cliche is uh, or, or something that's always mentioned is how impressive some people are in training um, as a as a footballer with during training who impressed you the most during your time anywhere in your career um, in training, I never liked to face shots from uh, Colin Kasim Richards because uh -huh. he had a really, really powerful strike and he used to blast everything. Even if it was six yards out, he, was, he would try to take the net off. So if you are the goalkeeper and you have to fling yourself in front of these shots, it's never a, a, never a nice thing to do. But yeah, I do remember that, um, yeah, he had a really powerful strike. In terms of controlling training sessions, um, different players control training sessions in different ways. As you just mentioned, some players uh, will find a lot of uh, time on the ball. Other players will uh, dribble and drive and try to uh, take players on in 1v1 situations. Um, could be a defender who is blocking everything in five-a-side games. So I think like lots of different players over the years, have um, yeah been uh, very impressive uh, in training. Yeah, 
Yeah. And um, one other question I've got for you as well. I see from the stats that you had 247 appearances for the Albion. Is it more? Yeah, that's He's wrong. His head, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> God, how how many was it? That's Wikipedia, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm being very lazy with my research here. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 287. 287, yeah, right? Okay, even better. I, I thought that made more sense, actually, as you were here for the whole decade. Um, so 287. Have they got the other stat wrong? It says you didn't score any goals. I don't think you did for us, did you? <laughs> but no, did you I didn't. Agree? Have you no. ever scored a goal? Yeah, I've, I've scored a goal when I was uh, young, when I was playing for Blue White. Yeah, yeah. I, um, it was a really windy day, and I kicked the ball from the edge of uh, my penalty um, uh, area, and the wind took it. It went over the um, opposition goalkeeper, and it went in. And I do remember because we had like a uh, kind of like fence. Uh, behind the goal to uh, to stop the ball from uh, kind of like uh, going into uh, into the crowd behind us, and I do remember kind of like uh, going into that fence, like absolutely celebrating like uh, like crazy. Yeah, so on that level, I did score once. I did score. I, I did hit the uh, the crossbar once um, in a uh, preseason friendly against Wimbledon away. Um, same thing happened. Took uh, kicked the ball around the uh, my own penalty area, bounced, went over the goalkeeper, then hit the crossbar and oh. went uh, went out for the goal kick. Yeah, which was a big shame because it would have been uh, would have been special. <laughs> Brilliant, that's good. <laughs> Peter, have you got any more questions oh, for Slightly cheeky one. Um, so obviously you had an amazing career with Albion, but it didn't start off quite maybe as you'd have liked it to in the first game. How, how would you, did you feel maybe when uh, you got kind of taken off at half-time against South End? It must have been a bit of a, bit of a shock. So I don't think you were particularly wrong that game, personally. Well, we were one down at half-time. I think they scored from a corner that uh, went in at the far post. But um, myself and uh, Paul Rogers uh, were taken off at half-time. And I think that was the... Uh, the style that that Mickey uh, Mickey Adams uh, had, and um, to be fair, you know, I made with my background. Um, it was just a matter of uh, of weeks before I was back into the team, and then stayed in the team and um, came back better and stronger, and um, never kind of like went out of the team for the remaining uh, games of the season, and we won the league. So I think, um, yeah, that is just um, a learning curve and part and parcel uh, of the game. Absolutely. Well, we're recording this podcast on our Zoom account, uh, which we have the free version of. So we're running out of time on the first first call. I don't know if you've got some more time to spend with us, Michelle. Would you be able to hang on for a few more questions in a second yes. part? Excellent. Yeah, that's fine. All right. Well, we'll, we'll reconvene in a moment then. Uh, thanks for joining us. And we shall speak again in just a moment. Okay, so welcome back to part two of our special podcast with Michel Kuypers, who's uh, joined us uh, to talk through his Albion career and various other things. Uh, one more thing we wanted to mention on the subject of his Albion time is the characters. Uh, we've touched on it a bit, but who, who were the greatest characters or funniest people uh, during your time with the Albion, Michel? Well, undoubtedly, the biggest joker was Charlie Oldway. I he... thought you might say that. <laughs> <laughs> Every day when you come into training, uh, you never know uh, what what's going to happen, really. But yeah, he was undoubtedly one of the biggest uh, jokers. I remember uh, when Robbie Savage came on loan, somebody managed to get hold of his uh, the keys of his Lamborghini and uh, parked it uh, not in the parking bay, but parked it in the bushes. <laughs> so yeah, that was one of the uh, one of the things. I don't know who did it, but I have a suspicion. But um, yeah, that was really funny. Or another occasion where people um, used like deep heat in uh, people's clothing <laughs> at particular <laughs> points. <laughs> this is obviously uh, quite uh, quite interesting to see the reaction. But like, yeah, we always had a really good band. And I think that is also part and parcel of uh, uh, having a good changing room, that uh, people work very hard together and uh, all support each other 
in uh, achieving uh, the ultimate goal, but also have fun together in uh, in achieving it. Yeah, I should explain. I don't know if you can hear any noise in the background. That's my wife and others clapping. It's uh, we're recording at eight o'clock uh, on Thursday. I've just realised, <laughs> which is of course the NHS tribute time. Um, so I have to excuse ourselves for not doing that. But uh, my wife's uh, joining in on on our behalf anyway. I think. <laughs> um, <clears throat> So that's it with characters. Peter, you were going to ask something about uh, with Dean, weren't you, as well? Yeah, so obviously you, your whole time at the Albion was spent at, with Dean, and uh, it's an interesting ground. And obviously, I think it's safe to say it, it's split, you know, split players, some players liked it a lot more than others. So we're just interested in your thoughts on, on with Dean, and also your views on the Amex as well. Obviously, you were saying you, you go there quite a lot for home games for the Albion still now, and what your thoughts are on the Amex as well. Yeah, I think uh, the with Dean obviously holds uh, special memories um, for anybody that was uh, uh, playing there, but also uh, anybody that was coming there to watch the games. Mm-hmm. It was a stadium which was obviously purpose-built for uh, athletics originally. Um, but if you look at, uh, for example, one game in particular, which was the, uh, the League uh, Cup game against Manchester City, in which we managed to beat them uh, on penalties, it also gave us a fantastic uh, platform to promote the need for a new stadium. And I do remember um, even like several weeks after uh, Brighton uh, beating uh, Manchester City, I was doing interviews and actually um, telling the national media about the importance of a community stadium for Brighton. Um, So looking back at those days, it was um, a transitional period for the club. Obviously, uh, the club didn't have a home um, before the 15 and had to play the away games at Gillingham. But uh, it was on the pitch, a very successful uh, period. Um, Then looking at um, the American um, Express uh, Community Stadium uh, as it is today, it's um, a stadium that, that... it's bringing even more special memories to everybody involved with the Albion. Obviously, um, it gave uh, the club the opportunity to uh, increase its uh, its budget by obviously uh, an increase in ticket sales and sponsorship and so on. So now we are obviously um, in the Premier League. And um, as uh, I mentioned earlier, I go to a lot of the home games and every time um, I come to the stadium, uh, it gives me uh, a very special feeling. I know exactly what you're saying about with Dean though, because it's like, I, I started watching in 1990 and we haven't had any success other than getting to the playoff final in my first season at all with with Dean. And so all my all the best moments of Albion until re, yeah, the Amex were with Dean and the promotions and all that sort of thing. I'd never seen Bright promoted before or it was all downhill for, until like, with Dean came along. So I yeah. Think, yeah, agree with what you're saying. It's like for all the fact it was quite an, an odd ground and you'd get drenched if it was raining and that sort of thing as a fan. It's a lot of very good memories there as well yeah it may not have had any long-term sustainability uh, in terms of the business model but we had four promotions in 12 years which is bizarre really when you think good really by anyone's yeah and the the amex obviously um yeah I'm, I'm sure you would have liked to have played there in a competitive match michelle did you actually play in any i'm trying to think if you played in any friendlies or testimonials there have you have you actually had me game time yeah. on the pitch uh, at the amex yeah yeah, I played obviously my own testimonial game there. It was oh, yeah, against, uh, yeah, it was against Reading, so that was a very special day. And um, this is also quite a funny story because I remember um, coming to Farmer uh, University, where our training ground uh, was based, and um, Mickey Adams said to me that uh, in eighteen months they would be start uh, starting to build uh, the new stadium across the road. So I thought, okay, I sign a two-year deal. If I do well, I sign a um, an extra year or maybe two, and then that stadium would definitely be there. Well, eleven years later, <laughs> finally, <laughs> they uh, started to build it, and uh, it, it got there uh, really quickly as soon as they uh, started it. And um, yeah, it was a fantastic occasion for me, my family, my friends, and everybody that um, had been with me during all those years at the Albion to finally play at the uh, new stadium. Yeah, I think if you, if you play for a club for a long time, I think by just by nature, you end up becoming a, a bit of a fan of that club anyway, don't you? You look at Jamie Carragher, who's famously an Everton fan, but is also yeah. very much a Liverpool fan as well now, and many more examples beside, I'm sure. 
Um, so I, I guess you probably would say you've got a, an Albion affiliation. Um, but who is your team supporting growing up? Was it a Dutch, just a Dutch team local in Amsterdam? Yeah, obviously I supported Ajax. Um, Ajax was the, uh, the number one club in Amsterdam. And um, our biggest rivals were uh, teams like Feyenoord and PSV. So uh, when I was young, I was definitely an Ajax supporter. But um, I think you're right in what you say. Uh, I think initially I came to Brighton as a player, but um, I very quickly started to uh, to love the club more and more. And at the end, I was playing, but I was also a fan of the club and I still am a fan of the club. So it's something that um, you take in and... I would say, apart from my family, you know, the the Albion is the closest thing to my heart. It's uh, it's an amazing club, and um, I'm very proud to have played my part. Although it may be a little bit uh, a very small part, but uh, in in some shape or form, into contributing to uh, to where the club is now. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I think a very big part. I yeah, I agreed. Yeah, I was going to say you played a huge part in those mm-hmm. years you were at the club. It's like such a successful time as well. So. And yeah, so many, as you were saying, so many great memories as well. And uh, going back slightly to what you're saying about Holland, what's your views on the what they've done with the Dutch league of cancelling it for the whole season? Do you think there's, they had another, any other option or do you think it's the right decision? Yeah, I think regarding the coronavirus, I think the most and the first thing that I personally would like to say is, is that um, the condolences to uh, all the people uh, who... Um, who lost loved ones, friends, family members, neighbors, and people within their own community. I think it's a terrible thing, coronavirus. And uh, first of all, my thoughts are very much with these people. Second of all, I think that I have great admiration for all the frontline workers. I think they are doing an amazing, an amazing job. And a lot of them put uh, their own life and their family's life at risk to help others. And I think that's something that um, I personally really, really respect. And I hope that uh, in the future, all the people that do work on frontline uh, jobs, that they will be rewarded as such as well, because they really have shown how important they are for all of us. Um, In terms of football in Holland, uh, I think um, it's a decision that uh, they made within the Netherlands really early. Um, I think they were a little bit ahead in terms of um, the development of the virus within the country. Here in the UK, we um, are a few weeks later in terms of uh, the epidemic or or pandemic, sorry. And um, I think that um, as it stands, uh, by the third week of May, we should find out really um, what the uh, FA and the Premier League are going to uh, decide regarding the 2019-2020 uh, season. Mm, yeah. Well, your uh, family looked like they were threatening to invade the room you're in for this recording a little earlier in between uh, the, the two parts of this podcast. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> what, what have you and those guys been up to uh, during the lockdown? How have you been coping with it? How have you been dealing with it? What have you been... Have you learned anything new? Have you discovered something in all this spare time you've had? Or have you not had much spare time? Um, well, obviously, um, it, it's a completely new experience for everybody. Uh, me personally, I've been um, having a lot of meetings on Zoom and uh, been using uh, online communication with, uh, with lots of people that I work with. So that's a new experience where normally I always like to uh, visit people and speak to them uh, in person. I'm very much like a uh, person's person, so I would like to to be there when I speak to people, to see their reaction, for them to see my expression. And um, this is completely new to to all of us. I think for the for the youngsters, it's um, it's obviously hard. Uh, my son, he um, is um, in his last year at college at the moment, and he's supposed to have done his A levels uh, this coming month in order to uh, achieve his grades to go to university so he's one of the of the ones that uh, unfortunately can't take these these tests so we'll have to see how things develop and then my younger one she's still at secondary school she can still continue her studying online so every day she kind of like keeps busy with um, doing all her homework uh, on the laptop yeah yeah and have you been uh, doing other things like playing board games, getting binging 
TV viewing, all that sort of thing. As no, well. we um we uh, we have been on quite a few walks locally. Um, I never uh, knew these uh, these walking uh, routes existed, so that's something that I've learned. <laughs> and uh, apart from that, we uh, we've had quite a few uh, like uh, weights and uh, fitness uh, uh, machines and uh, and bars and stuff like that. At, uh, at our home. So every day we are uh, we're spending uh, an hour and a half, something like that, uh, doing uh, some physical exercises uh, at home. Yeah, all good. And um, Peter, did you have another question there as well? Um, I think that's pretty much it. Oh, I was just wondering what you're, you currently, do you still work with the Albion at all now? Or what, what's your current role generally, or what's your current yeah, position generally? Or Yeah, at the moment, um, I am a football agent, so I work with uh, professional footballers, and um, I've been doing that for the last few years. Um, something that uh, I very much enjoy because you're still part of the game, although it's uh, a different uh, capacity. Mm-hmm. But in particular, working with like young players to support them as much as you can, uh, see their career developing, and making their debuts for first teams, and um, yeah becoming uh, the best player that they can be. That's something that I'm very passionate about. So that's something that I've been doing for the last few years. Must be a very odd time for you then at the moment, because I mean, normally you'd be gearing up to the busiest time of the year as an agent, presumably, and yet no one knows when, whether the season's going to continue and if there's going to be a pre-season for next season and when it's going to start and if, when players will be able to move again and that sort of thing. And kind of, it must be a kind of on hold almost quite a lot of activities at the moment from your side. Yeah, it's different because um, I've been very busy, as I mentioned earlier, the last uh, couple of months. As you rightly said, um, it's coming up to that period of time uh, that uh, the transfer window is opening again. But um, a lot of the clubs you find are very... um, I think you lost Russell there. Oh, he's back. Okay, Russell. That's just a small glitch. Sorry. <laughs> yes, that's all right. Now, I think you find that a lot of clubs are very uh, proactive instead of reactive. They had already um, uh, been busy scouting uh, potential uh, players that they're interested in for several months. They have already visited their games. They've already watched all their performances on Scout. So I think that um, obviously the biggest thing is... Um, we need to find some sort of uh, solution as to what will be the end result of the 2019-2020 season if the remaining nine games in the Premier League are not going to be played. I think that's the biggest question. And as soon as there has been a decision made and the clubs know where they stand, are they going to uh, play Champions League, Europa League? Are they going to survive in the Premier League? Are they going to get promoted for the, from the championship to the Premier League? When these questions are, uh, are answered, that's when you see that the clubs that have done their homework and uh, done their uh, scouting and recruitment uh, diligence early, they should reek, uh, reek the benefits from it. Hmm. Certainly interesting times. And for the low-league clubs, obviously worrying times in particular, um, including your old club, Bristol Rovers, I guess, and many more besides, must be worrying about the income timings and, and how things are going to go. But uh, hopefully it will all work out in the end. I do fear for a lot of them, but let's hope, hope for the best. And let's hope we can all get back when it's safe to do so, certainly. Um, Michelle, you've been the first player we've had on, actually, onto our podcast. Uh, we started at the beginning of the year. It's been a great pleasure to have you on. We're absolutely delighted. Um, so thank you for joining us. Um, we maybe get you back on again in the future um, and might see you down at the Albion I guess in the future as well yeah but, definitely uh, like as I said earlier like um, the club uh, is doing fantastic at the moment I think that uh, the chairman Tony Bloom has really um, elevated the club to uh, to the level that they are now I think um, he's been um, fantastic in supporting the club financially setting out a very good structure with, uh, with people that are, are working on a daily basis in improving the club as a whole. So uh, huge credit uh, to him and everybody involved. I think that the supporters uh, within Brighton and the numbers have increased hugely. Obviously, that comes with success. 
but um, when I drive through Brighton or walk through town and I see youngsters in uh, Brighton jerseys instead of Manchester United or Liverpool jerseys, it makes me very proud that uh, that I am that I'm Brighton and that uh, you know I, um, I I see all these young. Uh, football supporters that are all supporting their local team, Brighton. And uh, yeah, it puts a big smile on my face. Excellent. That's good to hear, isn't it, Pete? Yeah, it's great. Yeah, because I think it was always a problem in the 90s, especially that sort of thing when Brighton was struggling with it. You just saw so many you know, kids walking around in big Premier League shirts from clubs they've probably never been to, but could, yeah, because Brighton yeah. was not doing very well professional. A lot of a lot of it is um, a case of old fans coming back and moved yeah. on. Have had families and have come back at a later age. Obviously, there's a load of young kids getting into it where they just made a choice one way or the other at a certain time. Um, and well, maybe I was the exact opposite. I was living in London and supporting Brighton growing. Up. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, you, just you to did be the hard <laughs> Yeah, I think, I think a, a, a big um, part as well is uh, all the work that uh, Albion in the community does within uh, Brighton and surrounding areas. They really um, helped um, a lot of uh, different courses uh, within, uh, within Sussex. And um, I think that also massively raised the profile of the club as well. Aside that um, they are doing all this good work for uh, a lot of the times unprivileged uh, uh, children or students, uh, any sort of like, um, uh, any sort of scenario where people um, yeah, have got it uh, very hard and the club is there uh, to support them and I think uh, that's, that's a huge thing as well which obviously raises the profile. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. I, I think you're right. Absolutely on that one. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, it's the same thing, for example, like with the coronavirus, Brighton was the very first club in the country to allocate uh, so many thousand tickets for uh, frontline workers. I think these initiatives are, are, are amazing and I think it shows uh, what kind of club uh, Brighton is. Yeah, they've certainly done a lot, haven't they? The ring rounds, one of the first doing that. The uh, the drive-in centre for the Amex, obviously for the tests as well, and various other things besides. Even I think vouchers for staff and things like that to keep the spirits up. So it, it it is a great place to be, and it's a great club to be associated with. We're certainly very glad you are associated with it. Yeah, long may that continue. Um, we'll see you down at the Amex, I'm sure, Michelle. Yeah, yes, we will. Michelle. Cheers. Thanks very much for joining us. Cheers. Take care. Well, that was brilliant. We were so lucky to have uh, Michel Kuypers on the show tonight. That was fantastic, wasn't it, Russ? Yeah, really enjoyed that. He's been fantastic value. As we were saying on the podcast, he's our first player to guest on, or ex-player, to guest on the show. And uh, it's a privilege and a pleasure to have him on. I think he's an appropriate person to start with because he was so synonymous with the club for such a long time in this modern era. Absolutely, yeah. It was, uh, it was that, that, that first with Dean C, or second with Dean C in his case. There was so many players who played for Albion for so long at that point. There were... You know, there's about six or seven of you stayed for like at least five, six years. And obviously Kuypers and Mayo and Hart as well stayed quite a lot longer as well. So it's... Uh, yeah, 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 there was a real sense sense of a, a team spirit and camaraderie as, uh, yeah. uh, as we alluded to in the podcast. And also, as we alluded to, um, I think in, in the podcast, I mentioned that I'd met him before. And on both that and this occasion on the Zoom call, uh, he's a really nice guy as well. It's... it's yeah. They, they say don't be your heroes and uh, <laughs> or people you look up to uh, for what they do in the public eye. But, uh, you know, he's certainly one that's, uh, that bucks that trend. Uh, he really he still loves the Albion as well and goes to games and sees them and yeah, watches them regularly. So, so it's really yeah. positive when you hear of, you know, kind of play, players don't just kind of like see it as a career and that's it. They actually kind of fall, you know, love the club in the end as well and uh, start yeah. supporting them as well. We, we've had a, a, a forum this week on Seagulls Over London where we were lucky enough, in fact, it was this morning as we record this um, on Thursday night. Um, it's, uh, it was on um, this morning. It was with Bruno and Andrew Crofts. And um, I put the question to Bruno, uh, well, actually to both of them, that um, a lot of people do seem to stick around after they've been with the club, even dating back quite a long way back in time. And what is the pull? And he was saying it was a nice place to to live, et cetera, and a, and a great club now as well to be associated with. And we really do have loads of people that have stuck yeah. behind, haven't we? Whether you're looking back in time with the Jerry Ryans and the Andy Rollings and uh, people like that, um, through to the more recent era, we've had Guy Butters, Michelle Kuypers, of course, Danny Cullip, um, 
but we've had managers that have come back like mm-hmm. Mickey Adams and Alan Mullery um, and people that have uh, been living in the area and, and obviously Michelle has stuck around in Sussex all, through all these years um, seems like he's pretty settled there now which is great yeah yeah um, well, we've we've had a busy week. <laughs> we've already had the Michael Robinson tribute podcast, episode thirty. This is episode thirty-one, and we've got another one coming up at the weekend with our semi-regular cohort, Robin Woolley, who'll be joining us for uh, a look at the week's news in general. And also, Peter, what are we going to be discussing apart from that? We've, we've been set ourselves each the tough task of finding players with our initials and putting together a team of those players. So, I. I bizarrely difficult isn't it <laughs> I've found it that way if you're looking for a high quality team so, I mean I've got Paolo Maldini in defence which obviously is quite a useful uh, player for example to give you a, a quick kind of idea of one of the players I'll be, I'll be selecting at the weekend but then on the other hand in goal I couldn't I couldn't find anyone so I had <laughs> a goalkeeper I'd never heard of and played like 11 well, you might, Czechoslovakia so you might have to go and goal yourself by the sounds of it Maybe, you've got yeah. the right initial so, <laughs> otherwise I could have mentioned it to, to Michelle tonight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my my team's looking pretty top heavy, both in terms of um, the uh, the quality and the quantity of what I've got up front. So I think my guys might give your defensive run for its money, even though your defence looks good. But I'm hoping you haven't got anything up front because my defence is woeful. And who knows what Robin's got? Okay, forwards, but nothing like spectacular. <laughs> well, stay tuned to, to find out for that one. But with um, with football, obviously not on the agenda at the moment. We've got quite a lot of uh, these kind of shows. So if anyone has any ideas that we could do for uh, selections of teams or ideas for that sort of thing, then do get in touch. That'd be a good idea, wouldn't it, Russ? It'd be helpful because um, yeah, we're all looking absolutely, for absolutely, yeah. Shows. Yep, if you're um, a Seagulls Over London member and you're on the WhatsApp group, you can message us there. Um, if you're not, or even if you are, you can email us. Um, via the website uh, for Seagulls Over London www.seagullsoverlondon.com and then you follow the link to the email there or you can email us directly at Brighton Rock Podcast um, was, uh, Brighton Rock, I have to think about this Brighton Rock Podcast at gmail.com <laughs> I do know the, uh, the email address thankfully <laughs> um, and we'd be interested to hear from you. Also, if you wanted to be a guest on the show in the future, we're looking for any Albion fans who've got something they want to tell us about their supporting history. Or please players. feel free to... Oh, not, yeah. <laughs> More funny. And you're desperate to come on and let us know. <laughs> we may be willing. But we've, got, uh, we've had a, a busy week. We've had some interesting guests on. Uh, it's been interesting to hear people's views on Michael Robinson this week. And it's been great to have Michelle on. So, fantastic week. It's nice to have the time to do this, although albeit the circumstances are not great, but uh, at least it gives us the opportunity to do these things and we've been enjoying it. Um, I hope you guys have been enjoying listening and stay tuned for the one at the weekend. Yeah. See you then. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.